Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Hey, Andrew. It's, uh, you know, it's winter when the weathermen roll their sleeves up, unfurl their tie just a tiny little bit to show a little bit of button. And look, generally disheveled. We've got like, some, uh, like like a bunch of Steve Karnackis. We've got some right Steve Karnacki late at night. We've got some weather coming through um, that's about to hit us hard. The first dump of snow. I know. I'm so not looking forward to it, to be honest, because I'm commuting now back. Like a lot of people are still working from home, but I'm now going back to and from uh, home and work, and just ugh. yeah, it's, it's not, not great for you. Now I enjoy oh, it, but 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 I don't have to be anywhere. So, um, sucks to be you right now. <laughs> uh, let's see. It does not suck to be one of you listening to this podcast because this will be a fun show today. Uh, lots of action from over the weekend to talk about. The top of well, the table not lots of action. Well, but that that in itself was like the top of the table had an interesting weekend. Uh, so I, I look forward to getting your thoughts on that. The Champions League draw has been announced, and the more prestigious Europa League draw has also been announced for the knockout stage. We'll go over uh, some of those things. We've got a nice mailbag here. It looks like some of you did watch the Fat Man trailer, like we had talked about at the end of last week's podcast. Uh, Red cards, man of the match. Also, thank you to, well, I guess we'll get more into this. I think I saw in the mailbag, but uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, we interviewed Arsene Wenger last Thursday. It was awesome. Really, really interesting comments from him about a number of different subjects. Uh, so if you haven't listened to it, I, I it sounds like such backpatting and self-promoting, but I suggested, I really not even not talking about us. I'm saying like he was interesting to listen to his thoughts right. on, uh, on the way the final years of, of his arsenal side were perceived by many people. He does not see it the way a lot of the pundits and fans do, which I thought was, was opening. Uh, he weighed in on Paul Pogba's, I guess, demands to be transferred. Mesut Ozil, how he's being handled. So there's a lot, there was a lot to digest with that. We had about 25, 30 minutes with him and it was, it was really, really a fun conversation. So I highly recommend everybody go check that out. Yeah. And the quotes, uh, his quotes on Ozil and Pogba were picked up by a few, quite a few publications, including the Daily Mail. Oh, really? Who, who credited us. Wow. Uh, f- uh, Football 365 uh, podcast, our uh, website, we, we dearly love. Uh, they also put a link in and credited us. It was amazing because a lot of the time in media, these quotes are picked up and there's never a credit given, which is really disappointing. Um, there was only one publication I saw that that took our quotes and, and didn't credit us. So I'm looking and at you, you. And you keep I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you, global goal. Sort yourself out. All right. um, also, uh, one kind of quick PSA uh, for later this week. So we are here on a Tuesday morning recording this podcast. On Wednesday, there is a huge caught offside cup. And I feel like it's almost been downplayed because ever since Tottenham and Liverpool met in a Champions League final, everything has kind of paled in comparison to that when we talk about our caught offside cup meetings. But JJ, had that never happened, like we could be looking at a caught offside cup on Wednesday of the teams that are first and second in the table. Like ordinarily, this would be... This is like earth shattering for for what we typically like. Think of how excited we've gotten over past Tottenham Liverpool games that were way less meaningful than this one. I know it's early in the season, but still, 
So because of that, you know, like I said, we're here on a Tuesday doing our normal show. Um, but I want to let everyone know we sometimes talk about how on our on our like caught off side channel, that one specifically that you can see on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. We have our own podcast channel, Caught Offside. Just search for that. Sometimes, every once in a while, uh, we'll put out bonus material on that channel that is not available on the ESPNFC channel. And this would be one of those moments. After the game, uh, we'll watch it separately, of course, social distanced. But uh, afterwards, we will convene and do kind of like an emergency reaction podcast to what could potentially be a very important Tottenham Liverpool matchup. So um, anybody who's interested in, in hearing our thoughts following that, it will be available. Like I said, only on the Caught Offside channel, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcast. We do have our own channel. So now is the time to subscribe to that channel because you then you then you don't miss out on anything. You get your regular pod and your bonus editions. Also, I'm going to be debuting on Hot Mike tomorrow. I'm going to give it a run, a virtual way to watch the game with you guys. Uh, Andrew will not because of work commitments, but. In the future, if it's a weekend game, I think, uh, and and if people like it, if enough people watch me, uh, then we'll probably do it together. But that's Hot Mike tomorrow. You got to follow us, Caught Offside ESPN on Instagram, and that's your soccer bot on Twitter, so you can find the link and 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 more details about watching the game with me tomorrow. That's the plan. Technology has a way of getting in the way of the great plans, Andrew, as we know. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, let's let's talk about it more also for the holiday period because you know I, I'm off from work. I'm guessing you are as well. Yeah, come fast and furious. Yeah, there could be some uh, there could be some opportunities there. Could be fun. there could be some opportunities to watch Andrew passively watching Spurs, kind of half bored, flicking at his phone with his hand down his pants. Yeah, that's that that's is, great. That's that's those great. are all all false perceptions. Let's talk about uh, some of the big things that happened over the weekend. And JJ, we start here. MLS Cup final. We have our champion. Good for the league to get this done. Like, remember, mm. I mean, this season started in March. <laughs> like, it's easy to forget that. Like, remembering back to the, you know, Philadelphia Union, LAFC early on. Like, this season was insane. There was the tournament within the season, like the the long delay. So they finally did get it done. Uh, there was a lot of doubt, I'm sure, from various people within the league as to whether or not that would happen at certain points along the way. But here we are talking about a completed season. So props to them on on actually making that happen. And congratulations to the Columbus crew, your 2020 MLS Cup champions. Um, I talked about this on last week's podcast when we were previewing this game. It is an amazing story uh, that this is what we are sitting here today talking about. Not only, obviously, because of where the crew were at in in terms of the table, you know, a year, two years ago, like this has been a fairly quick rise for them to get back to the top of MLS. Um, but like, like has been so well documented, this team, their existence as the Columbus crew, it was done and dusted. <laughs> like this was th- these scenes that we saw over the weekend were never supposed to happen. Um, and this is an amazing thing that it did. And I guess the only, you know, it's kind of with half joy, half sadness, like I'm glad that there were fans in the stadium to see that. Uh, I only wish, of course, that the place could have been full, um, only because if any club, if any club's fan base deserved to have a night like that with their fans, it's this one because the two are just so inextricably linked. The, the club is essentially only still existing because of the fans, and that you know a lot of teams say that oh it's all about the fans, but it's never been more true then this grassroots movement of Save the Crew to, to make this happen. So uh, I, I couldn't feel 
uh, you know, I couldn't possibly feel better for the, this fan base that they were able to have this night. I can guarantee you Don Garber didn't want any more fans in the stand considering the reception he got at the end. Well, he, he I mean, he he has to know. Like, that couldn't, couldn't have been a shock. Yeah, don't do that. Don't have the commissioner speak. Don't have the commissioner thank the ownership. Don't do any of that. Cup, players, boom, celebrations, gone, see ya. That's it. No more than that. You're just leaving yourself open for malcontents to get angry at you. It's a good point. I, I do. I'm okay with ownership speaking. No. This is this is no. this is your team. No, like you, no. It is though. Like it, it. They own the team. Like, I think right. they're allowed to. You know, I they own pick I, the people who are in place. Like they, I, I own my apartment right now. I rent my apartment. I, I invite in a plumber to do the work. I pay the plumber. He is in my employ. I do not take a victory lap lap when he fixes the toilet or when he fixes the sink. Realize what you are. You are a guardian for the club. That's it. If if fans want to thank you, they will thank you. They will let their appreciation be known. But don't come out p- pretending like you played right wing <laughs> all well, season. It's not it's not a hill I would die on. Honestly, I could quite frankly I could care less. Okay, come um, on. What I care about is the game. Um, yeah, this the way this started, the news 48 hours beforehand, it just had to be the nightmare scenario for Columbus to find out Pedro Santos, Darlington Nagby, two of your starters, Nagby in particular, who, you know, ask someone on a certain day, like, who's the crew's most important player? You know, sometimes someone will say Zardes, sometimes someone will say Zalarion, but oftentimes the answer is Nagby. Uh, so to find that out in such a short time frame prior to the lead up of the game, it was it had to be just like a, like a hammer blow uh, to morale in that room. But it, it certainly didn't manifest itself that way on the field. They they did not look deterred in any way, shape, or form from playing the style that they are going to play. It didn't really change. And Caleb Porter talked about that beforehand. Um, that you know this is that they suddenly weren't going to just throw out the game plan entirely and just draw something new up in the, in the last 24 hours. So credit to them. They kind of stuck to their guns and it paid off. I, 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 what I found interesting was that this is a following a trend in MLS, the importance of that number 10 creative figure. We saw it Reynoso at, at Minnesota. We see it regularly with like Ladero at Seattle, wherever they play, wherever your creative player is, they are just like these, crucial hubs and that was the same with Zillary Ann um, but, but I want to give I want to give credit also to to Caleb, Caleb Porter for not changing his tactic and also from going at Seattle getting it done early Seattle didn't settle into that game for for quite some time you could argue they never did yeah. and and Columbus got on the front foot early it, it would have been easier to change tactics sit a little deeper look to catch them on the break considering that you had to absorb the loss of someone as important as Darlington Nagby, but they didn't. I thought Columbus got on the front foot. And honestly, Andrew, it was pretty comprehensive in the end. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, you know, the first goal that Columbus scored, it was it was deserved. And, you know, we can talk about tactics and all that. And there is a certain amount of that. Um, however, sometimes it's just like, sometimes sports are simple. And, you know, we overanalyze, but sometimes like great players just make great plays. Like, it's a perfect ball that's played in, but for Zalerion to make that run and then catch it the way that he did in uh, full flight, right? Like, you know, on the volley from a, from kind of an impossible angle, well done. And, you know, he, sure. He got a little bit of help from Stefan Fry who got a hand to it, but just couldn't get quite enough on it to keep it out. But 
you know, he's he he wasn't their record signing for no reason, folks. Like he's a great player, and that was a great moment. But these guys that have come into the league, uh, particularly from from South America, and play in those in those spots are are really so crucial to these teams. I know that sounds like an obvious statement, but it really, you know, I I think it's amazing that as much praise as Darlington Nagby and and Pedro Santos have got, Columbus could still absorb that loss and uh, and have someone like Zeta Rayan who ran the game. Yeah, and now for me, I mean, that was the first goal to put them up 1-0. And then a few minutes later, to me, this was the hammer blow. And there were still opportunities. Seattle could have gotten their way back into this game afterwards. It was early on. But uh, the second goal, you look at Seattle. So I, I went back, I rewatched this. Um, so obviously, this all begins with a terrible clearance attempt from the Sounders. It goes right back uh, to Zalerion right outside the box, who kind of, you know, dances with it a little bit and then slowly kind of works his way into the box. And as he's doing that, the collapse of Seattle defenders around him, I looked at it, inside the box, there are five Sounders defenders. All of them, all five are either somewhere in the middle or leaning towards the right side. The left side of the box has now been left completely wide open. Everyone shifted towards Zalerion. They all lost track of Derek Etienne and Zalerion didn't. <laughs> he saw him the whole time, played the perfect pass to him. Now the defense and the goalkeeper are all overshifting to try to get back. Their momentum works against them and Etienne puts in a perfect curling shot into the far corner uh, of the net. It was it was well done and it was, you know, yes, it was it was well done from Columbus. It was well done from Zalerion, but Seattle allowed that to happen. Their defense was completely caught off guard after that terrible clearance attempt yeah I, I think it's also important to to note how good a finish that was because fry i think if that's a little bit higher fry can get to it he's such a good goalkeeper despite the mistake he, he definitely made an error on the first goal but he made some good saves in the game and i think if that's at a a little bit off the ground he'll get there he can't get there when it's low and curling along the turf uh brilliant goal yeah it was and you know from there yeah, Seattle had a couple moments here and there, but I mean, do any of them really stand out? This was, you know, in the end, obviously they're shut out and it's Columbus, it's Zalerion that wound up getting a, a second goal later on. He finishes the, the night with two goals and an assist, a worthy man of the match performance. He was brilliant. Um, but yeah, like you said, Seattle just, they're never, it never felt like there was that moment to me where they were threatening this game. Columbus always felt in charge. I know that there were maybe a couple moments where you know, the run of play was leaning more towards Seattle, especially in the second half when they had to get back into the game. But it felt pretty comfortable for the crew. Yeah, it really did. And, and you know, it's not like Smetzer didn't try to make changes. I think he changed the two fullbacks during the game. Like, took, took yeah, both of them out. Um, he tried to make, make as many changes as he could, and he couldn't affect it in the same way he affected the game against Minnesota. But, you know, it's no, it's no crime considering how good Seattle have been in the postseason over the last five, six years that this happened and that they lose one. I mean, I, I, I think Schmetzer can look in that season and think, I know we finished runners-up. It's hard to be beaten in the big, on the big stage in the big final, but I think Seattle have still been brilliant and will continue to be so. Yeah, that's certainly the case for them. I don't see, there's no reason to believe that there's going to be a drop off. I haven't seen yet, but I know there's been talks about Nico Ladero extending his contract um, with the team. So, you know, that's something to keep uh, a lookout for. Yeah, they're, you know, they're one of those clubs. They're they're great every year. Uh, but this in the end is Columbus's season. And I'm trying to remember what we said about them before the season. I think we were, I think we were pretty high on them. Uh, I think we liked the way they played and we, we thought that a very good spine which they did. They did. Throughout the season, from from all the way through the team and the midfield in particular. 
So I'm not saying we call this right, but let's just pat ourselves on the back. One other one other note on this with regards to Columbus. I talked about how happy I am for the fan base, and I cannot stress that enough. Uh, I'm also happy for Giassi's artists, JJ, because we know in the power rankings of U.S. men's national team players that take heat from fans, Whoa. where does he is he number two behind Michael Bradley? But that's how the hymn came about, right? Because he was right. always being mentioned and not always in the nicest way, even when he did score, and that's why it was constantly in my head. The same way as the Catholic hymns are from my from my boyhood, so they don't go away. And um, he, I definitely think there was a period where he was number two to Bradley for sure in definitely. in the heat taking stakes. He might still be. Yeah, and, and, and it's not him who. And there's not very much he can do. What he needs to do, Andrew. What he needs to do is go to Europe to a good team and score twenty five goals every season. That's the only way. You're you're right. Like for for whatever reason, the narrative on him has been written in the minds of so many people, and I hate that this is true. I wonder if this is true for you too. But I sometimes I can't help it. Where when I watch Columbus play, I watch his first touch differently than I watch everyone else's, and you're it's not hyper, hypercritical. It's not fair. It's not fair that I do that. But like the U.S. fan base has instilled within me that he can't handle a ball. And it's a, it's not true compared to that much more or less compared to so many other players. Like he's a legitimately good player. And I'm happy. I say all this as a long winded way of saying that I'm so happy for him because you know, this, this title that Columbus just won, this guy was hardly a passenger on this team. I mean, they are there atop the mountain right now, largely because of him. And for a guy who takes a lot of heat that you and I have oftentimes deemed to be unwarranted, I was happy for him that he was able to achieve this. I think it, he deserves this. And, and this was a great season for him. And we'll see now if he kind of rides that momentum back into a picture with uh, with old Greg. Triple G is going to have to look at him because there's a busy 2021 ahead for the U.S. men's national team. And um, there's just no way he will be sidelined or he won't... Uh, you won't hear Jassy Zarda's name mentioned in squads to come. So well done, Columbus, and well done, Jassy Zardes. Yeah, so there you go. Um, props to them uh, on, on 2020 MLS Cup champions, Columbus crew. Uh, JJ, let's talk about some other things that went on over the weekend. The Manchester Derby, a game that happened. One of the many games that happened. That's how we, This will be the one we don't remember. There will be very little to talk about. Um, Roy Keane in the post-match was upset. There was too many players hugging each other, swapping jerseys, having chats. He felt there was no bite in the game. I think Roy's ire was pointed in the wrong direction. He should have looked towards the stands where there wasn't anybody. I think if a game suffered in the last few months from not having fans and and that kind of the sulfur in the air, um, this was one of them. It was It was just not memorable. I have nothing to say about the game itself. Uh, yeah, I would. I'd pretty much agree. Anything interesting for me doesn't really necessarily have to do with the game itself. No. It's more about like what this kind of means for these clubs. Like, right? Yeah, you know, I was sort of wondering. Okay, so a really, really dull game between these two teams. Uh, you know, Manchester United in desperate need of points to try to work their way back into the picture. Manchester City in desperate need of points to maybe make themselves believe that they can also be a part of this title race. Um, you know, who comes away from this one feeling more discouraged? 
with the way that it went down, I, I just I can't help but continuously think that the answer to that is Manchester City because something we've said this now for weeks, pretty much the entirety of the season so far, we have talked about them with a couple exceptions here and there like Burnley in the 5-0, uh, but something just doesn't look right with them in attack. And I don't know if that's down to getting someone in there, and, you know, like a Bernardo Silva, like working him back into more regular minutes, some kind of different sort of injection of pace uh, that can jumpstart them in a way that is just not happening right now. If it's as simple as Sergio Aguero getting healthy again, getting back into the squad, and then they'll be okay. Uh, is it something like, you know, let's be honest, we, we love the guy, but Raheem Sterling is not having a Raheem Sterling season so far. He was pretty much anonymous with a, with the exception of maybe a couple moments. He had kind of a mazy run in the first half, uh, but the shot on, uh, that he put on that was was blocked before it got to David De Gea. He's it's kind of he just hasn't been himself so far this year. Uh, I don't know if that's down to a quick turnaround. There's a lot of miles on his legs in the in recent times. He's played a ton. He doesn't get hurt very often, hardly ever. So he's he's always out there giving them ninety minutes. Maybe that's catching up with him a little bit right now. I don't know, but something is just not right there. Yeah, the the way I viewed the game was a bit different. I I think we know about City's failings, and 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 we do think that they there's just something missing at the with the end product. But the way I saw it was the table is tight. You know, neither side is that far cut adrift. It's only five points between them and the top, so the result doesn't make a, a massive difference. I think City move on as you were. United still have the same question swirling around them. Um, after this one, even though a draw is, is is a good result, I think, considering they needed to calm things. It's the typical boom-bust with United, or bust-boom, rather. Um, so, you know, I, I actually, if, if you listen to the post-game punditry, particularly from the ex-United players, and this, t- this time it wasn't BT, it was Sky Sports, it was Roy Keane and Gary Neville, same conversations, Andrew, same things being talked about. No one spoke about the game post-match. The questions were about um, well, the questions were about the players. Again, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's name was not necessarily brought into to, to the forefront of it. Um, Roy Keane uh, spoke about the players, their responsibility. Gary Neville talked about recruitment. And that's where I am um, after this game, really. I, I, I think, I think there's, there's not, because of what happened in the context of the weekend, this is a game we forget. The table doesn't change dramatically. City are on 19 points, United on 20. City are two wins off doing something. You know, it's 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 also, it just feels like an irrelevant derby. And a lot of them in the past have been relevant. They've, there's something's happened. Nothing happened in this one. It's as you were. Yeah. And so we, we forge ahead and we forget about it. Well, yeah, we do. And, uh, and we, you know, we will come back and there's just, there's just this kind of Groundhog Day with United, maybe a little bit with City too. And um, I'm sure the issues we will speak about or have spoken about in the past will come up next week and the week after. I don't see it changing. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Uh, I talked before about it being an interesting week for some of the clubs at the top of the table. Uh, let's look at some of those results right now. Tottenham draw with Crystal Palace. Um, it, you know, it's funny. These these games, uh, I don't I don't ever remember this with any other manager I guess maybe with you know certain exceptions of managers who are on hot seats, you know, like Solshire, uh, every week for him is like a referendum on his job. You know, right. there's managers who get into those positions. Uh, Josie Mourinho, obviously, it, his job is in no jeopardy whatsoever. In fact, the, this Tottenham fan base, even the most skeptical Tottenham fans, have fully come around on him and and 
are loving what's happening at the club right now, by and large. However, it it still feels like every week their performance is a referendum on him and his style. And this week is no different. Uh, my only issues, you know, look, like, like I've said, Tottenham, for however good this season has been so far, they are not going to win every week. They're not going to draw every week. They're not going unbeaten the rest of the way. They're going to lose games at Crystal Palace, uh, coming off of three difficult games, um, with fans being allowed back into the stadium. Um, it's it's not an easy place to go to get a result. My frustration with it, I guess, is twofold um, from the Tottenham perspective. Uh, part of it is, you know, like you can sit back and defend and I've, I've come around on that style and I'm, and I'm good with it. I've seen the way that uh, it, it has been successful for them against Arsenal, against Chelsea, against Manchester City. I've seen how, how effective it can be. Um, my problem with it in this situation, like we saw against Newcastle earlier in the season, in a one-goal game, it's risky because you're always just one bad handball decision away from an equalizer. You're always just one goalkeeper error away from an equalizer, which is kind of what we saw here. Hugo Lloris, I'm not saying it was an easy shot for him to handle. A lot of bodies in front could have taken a flick. That's not that's not easy by any means for a goalkeeper. But Jose Mourinho believes Hugo Lloris is the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. He said that afterwards. And if that's the case, then you kind of think Lloris should be able to deal with that a little bit better. So in a one goal game, these are the kinds of, like these are the thin margins that can change things. Um, so that's, you know, Play your defensive style, but I'm much more comfortable with it when the deficit is two. Work to get that second goal and then play the, the way you want to play. It's just not the way they're going to play, Andrew. Though you know it and I know it. There's no point talking about These are the patterns. This is the way he plays. I, I, I firmly believe this Tottenham team can play more on the front foot. That's not what he wants. Um, you know, well, but that's Tottenham, not what he said, though. Tottenham, but... <laughs> right. He... Could, he the same way last week he praised Arsenal for 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 like the most impotent football I've seen in about twenty years. He said in the second half he wanted them to come out and play on the front foot, and they did. Well, then then it's his fault because they never do, and they and they, and I doubt they will in the future. You know, and I think this is a team that when they're on the front foot it can be devastating. Well, I won't say they never do. The sense that I get is that Jose Mourinho was doing this did. game in in a similar way that he viewed what happened in, in, against Southampton earlier in the season, where the first half was kind of the way that it was, and then in the second half Tottenham exploded. And I'm guessing that Jose was probably hoping they'd come out and, and give that sort of performance and then be able yeah, to. Yeah, but how, how 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 does that happen when? I mean, I wish I had the graph in front of me, the average starting or the average positions for all the players. How does that happen? When your your defensive your defensive line is as deep as it is. Well, like, the thing is, though, don't tell that me they that's did what it. you want, and that's where they where they end up. But but the funny thing is, though, they show you then that they are capable of doing it because Crystal Palace scored, and then what happened? It was like a <laughs> right. new game. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, of Tottenham. I, I couldn't believe they didn't get a goal in those but last. Why not 10 minutes. win the old bloody game? That's my point, and we're going to have this conversation forever because this is just the way he plays. And so far this season, he's been successful. A one-one draw with Crystal Palace isn't going to make or break the season. But I'm sick of these patterns. I don't even have to watch Tottenham games anymore to know how they're going to set up and how they're going to play. Neither are you. No, and, and look, like I said, I'm not trying to overreact to it. Like I'm okay with that. You know, because. We always talk about a club having an identity. Now, you certain people have decided this isn't the identity that they want them to have, but like, is it better? Should we be saying what we're saying about other teams that we don't know what they want to do? We know this is how they want to play, and it's right, successful cool. for them. So I'm I'm fine. I'm fine with it, but it's just 
like you said, you called it correctly in, in the first part of your analysis. If you play this way every now and again, you're going to get unlucky. Gaita had an unbelievable game. If if one of those go, those attempts where he makes a really good save, the free kick, or, or there was a header as well, if one of those goes in, we're probably not having this conversation. But the fact is, if you if you don't, if you play well for the first half, we'll say we'll give Spurs the first 45 minutes where they were more attacking. And you do this thing where you fall in, you sit in like Spurs always do, like Mourinho, classic Mourinho ball. If you do that, you're just going to leave the window open for something like this. That's just the way it is. And and I'll never like I, I don't like I've given Josie Mourinho praise because he's made it work. But I just look at the team and I think that that game should be or Spurs have the players to make that game out of sight, not to cede so much ground, so much territory, so much possession to to an opposition team. But again, this is very much like the conversations we're having week in, week out. This uh, is repeat, repeat a conversation. Yeah, I'm debating if I want to get in. Eh, no, I'm going to let something you just said slide. What slide. do you mean? Well, sometimes you you say I look at the team and this team should be way better than they are, and there are no, moments no, there are moments where you say that, and I I sometimes agree, and there are moments when you say that, and I think that you are no, underselling just, what we thought of some of these players a, a year ago at this time, two years ago at this time. Right, what was happening then wasn't working, right? And and Mourinho has I give him full praise for the most part. Mourinho has found a way to win, right? But that way to win has its flaws. It just has its flaws. And if you're going to seed territory in the second half and seed your starting position, I'd love to see the average position for Kane in that game. I'd love to see the average position for the second half for that defensive line. You're you're, you're inviting this kind of thing. One note on Kane that you mentioned, he scored again in this game. Um, and I saw, so I saw a stat popped up from, uh, from Opta Joe. Um, since Jose Mourinho's first game in charge of Spurs, Harry Kane has been directly involved in more goals in all competitions than any other Premier League player. 43, 29 goals, 14 assists. And I see that, and there's this spiteful uh, part of me that can't let go of certain comments. And I just, I remember I referenced this. Uh, uh, Who was it? It was Paul Merson, right? Who said, Harry Kane can never succeed for this manager. And arguably no player has done better, uh, has been better since... Harry Kane and Jose Mourinho were united. Oh, it's it's been great, and and, and that that tandem of him and 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 Son is just it, it's been breathtaking. It's been so good. And 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 look, when when I come compl- or when I make my criticisms of of what Spurs do, it's not really a criticism. It's just a fact, you know. And I think when they, when Spurs play in those spurts, is there has so far has anybody been more devastating outside of Liverpool and Spurs in in the way they've executed their game plans I would say no right and it's actually a good transition into Liverpool because like one one draws can happen to a lot of teams it can happen to teams that are trying to sit back it can happen sure. to teams that are trying to attack like Liverpool so like uh, yeah sure absolutely they one one draws can happen I'm just pointing out how it might be a bit more likely when you play Mourinho ball that's all I'm saying no and it's not I'm not making a value judgment or a moral judgment but you are. I know you. I've known I you well know, enough. I, I know, know you well enough to know your your judginess, your little your, your <laughs> tips of the eyes, the way I'm you support your I'm eyebrow. Right. Uh, okay, right. Okay, fine. You're turning in to, to one of the internet fans now. Don't be an internet fan, Andrew. What does that even mean? Oh, the, the, the Twitter fans. Ugh. Like they they can't like there's no acceptable amount of criticism. There's just none. <laughs> or even uh, pointing out a nuance in a game. Anyway. Well, all right. So on to Liverpool. I mentioned that 1-1. Good for Fulham getting mm. a, a 
can, point here. Can we talk about Fulham? Of course. Second? Because that's that's where I'd like the, the, the praise to go because it, it is easy to say Liverpool were off their game and they they absolutely were. They were in, for most of that game, they were in a malaise like they were against Villa. But that shouldn't matter when you're evaluating the way Fulham got things right. They, they pinned in the Liverpool fullbacks. They didn't give them a chance to get up the field or to settle. And in fact, the... Um, DeCorva Reed's goal came from the fact that Liverpool thought to be on the front foot, quick turnover, and he's in behind and he, he finished superbly well. They never gave a Liverpool player, particularly the midfielders, a chance to settle. It was such a good performance. Now, trying to keep up that intensity for 90 minutes, not going to happen. Not, not for a team like Fulham. And they did fall back and Liverpool dominated without, I suppose, Jordan Henderson's chance. If he scores, Ariola makes a great save. Maybe the game is a, a bit different, but... I thought Fulham defended stoutly then when they had to. So massive credit to Fulham. Uh, and massive credit to the American international, Anthony Robinson, who took home man of the match honors. He had in a this good one. game. He had a good God, game. is he fast. There was a I lot of nomin- there was a lot of nominations for for um for man of the match, I thought, from Fulham. But um I wouldn't argue with uh, with Robinson getting getting a share in the plaudits. Yeah, uh, so that was nice to see. I know there was a little bit of controversy in the build up to Fulham's goal. Uh I think Jurgen Klopp thought that there was a push from Robinson there, on Mo Salah. There could have been, but it wasn't given. Um, there was also the Fulham thought they had a claim for a penalty, which Matthew Upson just kept saying. He Matthew Upson was gaslighting me. He, That's definitely a penalty. Oh, it's a penalty. How is that not a penalty? And then and are you talking I about mean, the video tackle? Yeah, yeah. They talked about it like with with a level of certainty. That made my certainty that it wasn't a penalty. Called it into question. I didn't think it was a penalty. Were Fulham unlucky with the free kick penalty? Then that that then happened. Yes, but by the letter of the law, by the by the way the laws are being interpreted right now, it's a, it's a penalty. Um, the the handball elbow turn your back penalty. Yeah, um, I actually thought I thought they were all the correct calls. I yes, think- so, so did I. I thought Andrew Mariner did okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I, I I will say this. Uh, and I was texting with a lot of my friends, my Liverpool fan friends, and they're like, we are desperately, so incredibly lucky that they didn't add a second one in that first half because Liverpool didn't look like they were going to score two in that second half. It was uh, it was as malaise and, and, and lethargic a performance as, as Liverpool have had in a while, and now they've got to pick it up quickly. I will say, not having Diogo Jota to come in and, and do what he's done over the last few weeks is, is a, a big blow. Yeah, it really is. Uh, before we get off of Liverpool and move on, um, JJ Gerard Houllier passed away yesterday. Yeah, terrible news. Um, only in his early seventies, uh, but he he had a heart condition going back to his Liverpool days, um, almost twenty years. It reemerged again when he was manager of Aston Villa there about um, a few years ago. So, yeah, t- it's really really terrible news. Um, and and the the plaudits and uh, the the nice remembrances of 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 him and his time at Liverpool from Danny Murphy and Jamie Carragher were interesting. I think Andrew he marks a very clear point in Liverpool history, away from the past and the boot room. He was the first non-boot room manager um, of that period since Shankly. He he came in. He had no direct association with the club, although he liked to talk up the the time he spent in the sixties in Liverpool. Uh, as manager, and he brought in a professionalism similar to what Wenger did at Arsenal, 
uh, he, Jamie Carrer was talking about how he really pushed the agenda of better living, getting better sleep in, um, not drinking, you know, cutting out those things. Danny Murphy said that he'd go through a brick wall for him because he gave Danny Murphy the best years of his career and, and turned him into a, a really, really quality player. Um, yeah, it, it, it was terrible. Um, the 2000-2001 season, Liverpool won a, a cup treble, which was the League Cup, the FA Cup and the UEFA Cup. And I mean, I, I have really fond memories of that season. He got Liverpool back more on a, on a top four Champions League footing, but he never he never quite got the good signings in that meant Liverpool were going to push on and challenge, really challenge for the title. I don't remember a year where it went right. There was no year where it went right to the final day, like, oh, are Liverpool in this? I, I never felt as a, as a supporter we were going to win a title under Julian, and that's the way it turned out. And he had bad signings as well. Players like El Hadj Juff were just just bad signings. He had some good ones too, Upia and Ancho. Very, very interesting career, Andrew, because he he comes from that French background at Clairefontaine that everyone talked about at the end of the 90s as if it was the answer to everything because they just won the World Cup. Um and he had a complicated legacy in French football as well, and particularly surrounding the failed qualification bid for America in 94. The spat with David, David Ginola never went away. And I'd say it was more than a spat. He accused Ginola of being the... I mean, imagine... So France only needed a draw against Bulgaria in the final game in Paris to qualify for the World Cup in 94. Um, Julier was manager, and Ginola overhit a cross, Bulgaria break the full length of the field and Emil Kostadinov scores and, and suddenly Bulgaria are going to the World Cup and France aren't. And the comments he made afterwards, Andrew, were, I mean, it would, they were vicious and, and Ginola was distraught by them. Um, he, he, he called what he did, a, uh, I think it was an exocet missile to the heart of French football. You know, it was big talk and that spat continued for the 20 years, 20 plus years onwards, like up until as recently as 2015, you can find articles where they're having a go at each other over this incident. Yeah, it, it was it was something that you have to factor into the career of Julier. But people who met him always said he was a nice man. I only met him once after a playoff game at Red Bull Arena. I think they, I can't remember whether the Red Bulls won it or lost it, but I finished my interviews with Red Bull players and I saw Julier and I just indicated and walked over to him and he was angry. He goes, no, no, I, I don't want to talk. I don't want to speak. Um, this is about the players. And I'm like, no, no, Gerard, I, I don't want to interview you. I kind of did want to interview him for like to talk about Liverpool who'd lost that morning um, under Brendan Rodgers, but I didn't get a chance. And so once he realized I was, uh, I guess, from the UK or Ireland the, um, and I was a Liverpool fan, he talked to me for five minutes and was very warm and, and nice and kind. Um, and that's that's what people have said. I think that's he, he was very well regarded by Liverpool players of that era, um, Carragher and Murphy in particular. So, um, yeah, it's it's very sad. It's it's, it's, it's terrible. And and last week we we lost Paolo Rossi yeah. at a young a young even younger age who scored who was the Golden Boot winner at the '82 World Cup. Um, yeah, maybe I'm getting old and these things are harder to take, but they make me more sad every time. So um, kudos to Gerard Houllier. There was there was some good times. There definitely was. Yeah. 
Um, let's see a couple other games here, JJ, to talk about. Chelsea lose to Everton 1-0. Uh, a penalty for Gilfie Sigurdsson was all that Everton mm. needed in this one. The much the much maligned Gilfie delivering three points. Um, I, I, I don't think I'm going to wash away all Chelsea's, all of Chelsea's good run with one result, Andrew. Everton started that game four centre-backs, so they kind of... Ancelotti set out his stall to contain Chelsea as much as possible and get something on the break. Uh, the one thing Lampard will be disappointed with, obviously the result, but the, the goal. I mean, it's a long ball from Pickford. It's a flicked header by Calvert-Lewin. He's actually headed it onto himself. And Mendy has come out when I think, to be fair, he was moving at a, Calvert-Lewin was moving at a bad angle and Silva was covering him. Um, he looked well positioned to deal with it. Mendy comes out and cleans Calvert-Lewin and, and that was the game really. Chelsea could have scored. I mean, they hit the post twice with Reese James and then in the second half with Mason Mount. I think the big question for me is playing Havertz in that position. Not, Havertz not playing more centrally. Um, I, 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 still, I still think they can get more from him in a more central position. And I'm wondering if, if Lampard's going to move toward that. And no Christian Pulisic. And I still say that he is someone who can make an impact in these games, his ability to beat players and of course and create um, opportunities. So uh, yeah, difficult one, but they lost, they lost their last season, 3-0. So um, work in progress, but the Havertz issue, I mean, he doesn't, he never, I don't remember him playing as wide as Lampard has him for Leverkusen. I always thought he was more central. In fact, he had a more of a roaming role at Leverkusen. So um, yeah, it, not much of a change for me, in my opinion, at Chelsea right now. I wonder when we'll start truly seeing the best of Havertz. He's interesting to me, uh, not only because of what you're saying about him positionally, but also because r- reportedly he had a rough time with yeah. COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important to note that this thing lingers. Yeah. Believe me. Um, yeah. Um, so, I, so I'm just wondering, like, at what point will his full fitness return and we'll really get a sense of what he's capable of? Because he yeah, may not, I, he just may not be there yet. And I th- I think there's, I know Mason Mount's numbers are amazing in the way he presses and the work he does, and he gets a lot of shots. Um, but what about moving Mount out of that midfield position, putting Havertz a bit deeper and more central? And when you get Pulisic fit, play Pulisic on the right hand side of the attack, maybe there's more balance in that. But, um, I mean, again, it's it's a one 0 loss at Everton. I'm not. I, if I was a Chelsea fan, I wouldn't be losing my mind over it. But no, it's um, only frustrating because we see how how tight the title race is going to be, and we see how many close call. Like like you said, Chelsea hit yeah. the post what three times. Kurt Zuma also had a shot blocked from point blank range. Yeah, uh, you know this could have very easily gone the other way. And at the end of the season, if the title race remains as close as it is, you know, there's there's a lot of ga- every team has those games though. So it, it's hard to say, oh, if only we had done this. Well, if Liverpool had done that, or you know, Tottenham had done yeah. that. So. Uh, it's, it's, only, it's only their second defeat in 19, I think, so our 20 games. So I, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Uh, and then last but not least, JJ Arsenal just cannot get out of this funk. 15th, this is a gift. They're 15th in the table? Yeah. Uh, we're going back to like pre-Bruce Reoc, final George Graham year in charge for, for a similar kind of position. They finished 12th, I think, was it 95, 94, 95 or 95, 96? It's bad. It's very bad. Now, I didn't see this one, but I heard it wasn't actually Arsenal's worst performance, um, which is saying something. Uh, again, tr- um, struggling to get goals seems to be a real problem. Um, 
I was on Twitter though, because I was traveling, I was on Twitter following uh, the game and I was following Arsenal reactions. And uh, I gave a, an Olivia Soprano uh, gif to the response to the moment that Granite Xhaka was sent off. And I put Arsenal fans right now. And it's one of Olivia Soprano's classic lines. I wish the Lord would take me now. <laughs> Just um, the misery. Because apparently the game headed downhill dramatically after that red card for, for Arsenal. Yeah, uh, he was red carded. It, it's and it's the kind of red card that just it just can't happen. Like something, and and that's an obvious statement that you can never do that, no matter what the situation. But even more for Arsenal right now, because for whatever the fans think of him, he is a leader at that club. Uh, guys look to him uh, when things are down, when the chips are down, and right now they certainly are. Um, and so for him to kind of just like lose control in that way. Uh, when this club is scuffling in the way that they are, it was just, it was, it's unacceptable. And it just kind of further speaks to the disconnect between him and the fans. I'm sure it is. This only furthers that chasm between Mm. them. Andrew, do you have a friend who you fear every time you've had a conversation with this guy that he's just going to blather everything everywhere? Like, even if it's an enough. I do actually, I can think of one person. Yeah. There's always that guy. That guy for Thierry Henry may be Patrice Evra, who on national TV as part on Sky TV as part of his uh, an- analysis of the game said the following. When he visited Thierry Henry to watch a game of football, he a uh, game of Arsenal football in particular. He turned on the TV. The first image we saw was Xhaka leading out the team, and Thierry Henry turned the TV off. He said, "I can't watch my team and Xhaka being the captain." <laughs> now I know some people love this because they love Everett. You don't know what this guy is going to say when, when the red light goes on on the camera. <laughs> but I, I, I do feel if I'm Henri, I'm not inviting him around again. You know, Henri's not I just... He's it. Like, Henri, I, yeah. Henri, Henri's not just a guy. This is a guy who has a statue outside the Emirates. And like, I don't need Patrice Everett to tell me that Henri probably doesn't have a huge amount of regard for someone like for a well, player hold on like a second. hold on that's not no 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 i i i don't think that's true i think that this is actually two things can be true here i think this is actually amazing insight into a, into something that we would not have known about right. a player that we all think about and care about and who matters to this club more than maybe anyone else like this is insight that you do not typically get or hear and the other thing that's true is that we probably never should have heard it like you're right this was right. a thing that a friend said to a friend when they're hanging out, like, I don't know if this was meant to, for the world to hear. Now, we don't know that. Maybe Patrice Evra, he might have texted Henri. He's like, hey, that thing you said about Jaka, can I, is that story cool to me? Like, we don't know. Maybe that was a conversation Ooh. they've had. Maybe Henri want people to know that I'm not a fan of this guy. I want him out of the club. We, I don't know. I, we, I, we don't know. But on the I, surface, you're right. You're right. I would think with Evra, he doesn't look for much clearance for the things that he says. This That's why you pay guys like that to be on TV, right? Yeah. I mean, some of our conversations, I would not want you just going away blathering it. Of course not. And I know better. Yeah. But but this one friend that I have, like, it's almost to a point where, like, I, I almost treat him like the media. Like, if I, <laughs> if I want something to be known by other people, I'll almost, I'll leak it to him. Like, I'll almost say it to him <laughs> on purpose because I know, because I know he'll take it and he'll run with it. Really? You're, you're, uh, he, he's your, in your friend group, he's your Duncan Castles and you're Mourinho. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a and calculated what, move. 
Yeah. So when you're when you're not going to go to somebody's like Super Bowl party in the normal times, in the before times, you'll 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 leak it to this guy. Well, if I want, if I if there's information that I want out there, but I don't want it necessarily coming <laughs> directly guy, from me. Does this guy know he plays this no, role in your life? Absolutely not. No, and he'll never know. He's oblivious in that way. He's your uh, he's your Rebecca Vardy. Do you not have someone like that? Like that you not? I'm not saying that you leak things to. But like a friend that you just know is like that guy who whatever you say to him, get yeah. ready for everyone to know. No, about I know that. I yeah, I know that guy. Don't forget the Irish are notorious gossips. Is that There's right? No, oh, talking behind people's backs, the Irish. Oof. Oh my God, I'm bursting to tell you something, but I can't. No, I can't. I won't say it. I won't say it. Well, come here. You won't know. You won't believe what Billy said to me. <laughs> oh man, that's Patrice Evra. <laughs> I'd like to now hear their conversations, him and Henri, after this. Maybe Henri I would think in- I would think there's a little bit of that in, in New York culture too. You know, New, New Yorkers gossip too. I think. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like everyone does. It's human nature. Who are we to put ourselves on a pedestal like we're these, you know, vaults, blathering everything everywhere? Yeah. Um, let's see, JJ. We continue now. The uh, the Champions League round of sixteen. The knockout stages have been announced. Um, I'll go through these quickly. Do you want me to list all of them or do you want to? I just have a couple no, questions. Just, let me just ask the questions. Yeah, because also there's such an amount of time between these games and now. I know. We, we always feel like such fools. Um, right, but anyway. Form will change, obviously, between now and what is it, February? Yeah, like, injuries too. So. Yeah, it's crazy. But um, Let's have it, a stab at it. Let's give it the old college try. So in looking at it, a couple of questions come to mind. The first one being, of course, which, uh, which matchup do you like the most? And for me, there's, you know, there's a lot of good ones. Certainly, I think uh, Liverpool RB Leipzig is a really interesting one to me. Chelsea Atletico Madrid is a really interesting one to me. But um, the one that jumps off the page is Barcelona and PSG. And, and it jumps off the page because what are we going to be saying about the team that loses this? Like, no matter what, it is somebody is going to be facing utter doomsday if they go out in the round of 16. If it's Barcelona, then we're going to be talking about a Barcelona season that is pretty much over with the way things are going for them in La Liga. It's going to be over for them in February. Like, when I, is I, that ever the case for that club? I mean, and it was also the game with one of the great remontadas of, of I mean, it didn't didn't it coin the phrase this remontada. Um, so so we look forward to that. We also look forward to Messi with eyes moving away from Barcelona. We also are looking for the definitive moment when we bring down the curtain on the Messi Barcelona era, and and PSG and Neymar and Kylian Mbappe could be the crew to do it. Well, um, it would be it would be the great irony of the situation. The player in Neymar that Messi never wanted to leave in the first place, or that wanted to be brought back, uh, wouldn't it? Like the irony of that player then coming back and essentially, like you say, ending the Messi era at Barcelona. It's I'm sure that irony will not be lost on anyone. Most yeah, of all, Lionel Messi, who will be looking at Neymar saying, "This is why I wanted him back." Uh, but we'll have to see. Obviously, if Neymar's healthy, I know he's dealing with some some yeah. stuff now. Yep. But it's like you said, it's not for such a long time. Yeah, RB Leipzig and Liverpool is like this battle of institutions that are so well run in football, that are exemplars in many ways. The way RB Leipzig has been built, I I know there's the controversy over ownership, but let's just talk about them as a footballing entity. Lots of people want to copy what they do. Um, and also Liverpool, Liverpool, the exemplar in English football of club building since, since Klopp's been involved and 
So that's an interesting, that's a real interesting matchup. And and there's, I mean, that could be a real ding dong battle. Nagelsmann versus Klopp. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of got to love that one as well. Um, Atletico Madrid and Chelsea, as good a season domestically as Atletico Madrid have had, if you watch them against against Salzburg, you would be like, ooh, what is the big deal here? And they won that game 2-0. Um, and then you've got Frank Lampard and his array of attacking talents. What what can they do to to kind of stifle uh, Simeone ball? So that that to me is a fascinating one too. And I I really think you know a lot of people are saying, well, Chelsea have got a tough tough draw. I would not be writing out uh, writing off Chelsea for that one at all. Um, no. But again, again, it's so far. You you don't know. Chelsea play Wolves this week today. Well, as we record, in, in a few hours, they'll be playing. I mean, your perception is, say, Chelsea put two bad results together. What are we thinking now? So reactionary, Andrew. It's so true. And it's I a actually game-to-game like, game league. Yeah, and I actually like um, I like the idea of uh, Munch and back in City. I think that could, be a, that could be a good tie. And Lazio and Bayern Munich is, is interesting because Lazio are so rarely in this rarefied air. It's only last season they were losing over two legs to Celtic in the Europa mm-hmm. League. So now they're in the Champions League knockout stages, which is um, interesting for me. Finally, the big stage for Chiro Immobile. Yeah, um, let's see. We've talked about some of this, but uh, another question I was wondering about is which team you have the best feeling about right now. And like we like uh, I'll stress it again, the way we feel about teams now is going to change by the time these games happen. But um, in terms of who I'm feeling best about now, you know, it's kind of weird. Like you look at some of the usual suspects, you know, Bayern. Uh, of course, the defending champions, but one win in their last four in all competitions. They're behind Bayer Leverkusen domestically right now at the moment. You know, a week ago to this question, my answer might have been Atletico Madrid, um, but you know they lose two nil to Real Madrid over the weekend. That casts a little bit of doubt. And you know, like you said, their matchup with Chelsea is this is a really this is a too close to call for me. I, I think I actually saw that the um, the FPI or the the SPI, whatever it is, the Soccer Power Index. They have this one, I think, 52%, 48% in favor of Chelsea. Uh, and I think that was actually the closest that they had any of the matchups in the round of 16. Mm. So it's like, that's tight. Uh, you know, I don't know. I guess I, I would maybe look at Real Madrid, who, again, two weeks ago, I never would have said them. But you know, you look at them right now, they've won three straight, um, and, and they've looked pretty good in the process of, of doing that. You know, Certain players like... You know, Luka Modric is now kind of being worked back in and has played well for them. Uh, Danny Carvajal has is back in and playing really well. So uh, they would be a team. And then I can't forget about Liverpool. Um, you know, even with their injuries, I look at them still as a clear favorite. Uh, not just, you know, Leipzig are going to be tough, but I'm talking about the tournament as a whole. Like Liverpool are still, to me, one of the, the two or three favorites, certainly, with especially with no one else standing out this could be a season where they can afford to maybe have injuries and still compete. It's strange to me to, you know, to look at predictions um, for a cup competition by its very nature, knockout football, anything can happen. Look at the position Liverpool were in with, what was it an hour gone or whatever against Atletico Madrid last season at Anfield, they were through. And the next thing, what happens? Adrian decides to kick the ball to a Atletico Madrid player and the game turns on its head. Um, The, the 538 percentages, do you want to hear them? So the percentage winning chance 
to win the you Champions League. You're going to go through every single one of them? No, no, no. I'll just give you the top. I'll, I'll, I'll guess if you want me to, I'll give to you, guess. I'll give you the, no, nah, don't bother. I'll just give you the top three. I'm Manchester City. something fun, and uh, he has no It's not fun. Sad. It's not fun. Okay. Manchester City, 26%. Bayern Munich, 19%. Then Barcelona on 12%. Then Real Madrid, Liverpool, and Chelsea on 6%. At, Wait a Atleti. minute. Stop, stop for one sec. Their favorite? I thought you were going to go through the matchups of what their percentages no. were for the... Manchester City is their overall favorite to win the tournament? Uh, that is correct. The favorites to win the Champions League, according to 538, Manchester City. Yeah. Wow. Do you agree I, with that? No, I would swap. I would put Bayern Munich in there, and I would put Liverpool in there as well. Um, I mean, there's prob- I would say there's four or five teams right now that I would put ahead of Manchester City. This feels This feels stupid, doesn't it? A bit. I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I know they they use math. I know they new, use graphs. I know this can change over the next few few weeks and months. But I feel I feel weird about it. it. Any anything can happen. Look what Leon did to City last year. Now that was straight knockout. But come on, I feel weird. Anything can happen. Uh, and then one other question I was wondering about, and this could apply to a lot of teams. But which team right now are we most worried about? For me, it's hard to look past Borussia Dortmund. Uh, they have just fired their manager. Lucien Favre is out. Um, mm. It seems like they're kind of going with like a conglomeration of coaches that'll sort of handle this on an interim basis for the remainder of the season. But a committee, Andrew. Yeah, but did you, keep did your you eyes open, JJ. You you know one of the names that's getting some some discussion for possibly taking this job in uh, next summer. Jesse Marsh, who is yeah. a, a student of Gerard Houllier himself, and had a nice tribute to him too. So, um, well, Marsh is. Marsh has been good. There's no question. Absolutely. But like you look at Borussia Dortmund, 5-1 to Stuttgart over the weekend. And, and I know Gio Reyna scored the goal. Uh, so I want to be positive, but. What a um, goal. What a goal as well. It really was. Oh. The first oh, touch. God. Finish. Someone was saying Bergkamp-esque. I mean, it was in that realm. The first touch with a ball over coming over his shoulder. Lordy. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 Dortmund, I mean, there's too much talent there. I know they like to play young players, but they got great players, great talent on that team. They shouldn't be fifth right now. They just shouldn't no. be. They're underachieving. I, mean, I know Atalanta had a kind of a, an indifferent start to life in Syria this time round, and they currently sit in eighth. But with the way they play, they could they could give Madrid some some problems. That's the Champions League. By the way, one thing I want to point out. JJ, I, oh. I know you're this elitist punk who no, you, you mock the, one the Europa, you're, you mock the Europa League. Anytime I bring it up, you who is no. who's the team you always bring up? Vladi Kaskas or something? Alani of Vladi Kavkas, and I'll yeah. have you know they're proud have a proud tradition. You're the you, one that you hate make fun of me. Funny how the, this the mockery eluded you when Liverpool were in this competition all those years. But but I digress. No, I, I just, the depression I just, was washing over me at that point. I just want to to read you something. You you probably have seen this by now, but I just find it amazing. Um, I saw this tweeted by uh, at Who Scored the the Who Scored Twitter account. And they said the league leaders in England, Italy, Spain, Germany, France, and the Netherlands are all, uh, and then it lists them. It says, "Where can you find them all? Why the Europa League, of course. Every yeah. major league right now in Europe, the league leaders of all of those." Leagues are are in the Europa League and not the Champions League. That's amazing. I love uh, how we've uh, we've avoided talking about Europe's third competition coming soon, the Europa Conference. Is that what it's called? It's going to be called the Conference anyway. How did they possibly think 
putting the name conference on it would make it better. You, More you, prestigious, yeah. You, you think straight away of the Vauxhall Conference in England, which used to be the non-league. Uh, the teams, by the way, that I mentioned that are league leaders that are in the Europa League, Tottenham, AC Milan, Real Sociedad, Bayer Leverkusen, Lille, and Ajax. Europa League, JJ, it's where it's at. I've always said that about the competition. Beloved, you hold it close to your bosom. You have a mailbag here? Oh, it's an awesome mailbag, Andrew. Um, CaughtOffSidePod at gmail.com for the emails at SeagullSoccerPod on Twitter, ESPN on Instagram. Follow us there. Please do it right now if you haven't already. Also, subscribe to us on our personal specific feed. A uh, couple of shout-outs to begin. Um, best wishes to friend of the pod, Carter, Andrew, who's recovering at Baylor University Medical with COVID-19 complications. And um, no, Carter's not in the danger age, and it's been really, really tough for him. So hopefully he's on the mend. Um, also, Blake Hughes, uh, your buddy Ian reached out to let us know about the really tough time you've been going through of late. We are pulling for you, and we hope you are at the end of this um, period. So so the best of luck to you. And finally, um, Omar Mehovic and his crew, the students of Georgia Tech Chemical Engineering Department, as they cry slash cram their way through their finals. Um, six of them and their professor listen to the pod weekly, Andrew. Wow. Can you can you think of a mind of a brain? The professor at Georgia Tech listens to us rambling about soccer. Like are we lessening the collective intelligence of these people? I that that those are the things that keep me up at night. These are the people I mean, that need to change the world. I hope I mean, we're not a, you know like some kind of butterfly effect like them listening I mean, to our pod made them a, an ounce dumber. I'm, and I mean, Andrew, Andrew, it's Georgia Tech, not Harvard. So, you know, I mean, I'm sure we're not oh doing too much God. damage. Oh, zing. Having a go at the, what are they? Georgia Tech? The Yellow Bulldogs? Jackets. What are you like? No. Oh, my God. Now you're calling them their rival, the Georgia Bulldogs. You're calling oh, Georgia no. Tech that? What tech are the Yellow Jackets, are they? Yes. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Sounds like I've uh, rumbled the hornet's nest there, Andrew. Um, thanks to everyone for the kind words about the Wenger interview as well. Um, Danny pointed out something that was quite unlifting from Arson. Uh, he said, genuinely one of the most moving accounts of a managerial philosophy I've ever heard and an always welcome reminder of what sport can aspire to. And this stood out to me too. Uh, this is Wenger on the podcast. In our job, you can influence people's life. What I mean by that is that we all forget in daily life how good we are, you know, and that daily life is difficult. It's repetitive. It's boring sometimes. You have to do everyday things that you don't like to do, and it pulls you down slowly. So we people, the managers people, people like you who write, they can help people to acknowledge or experience something that is beautiful. And that's why I believe that my job was to discover what is inside them and how great they can be. And I think that's probably a design for life, Andrew. It's deep. It really is. But it's, it's thoughtful. Well, it, Every- what it is is leadership. Right. Finding the moment, finding inspiration in, 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 in everyday life, which the noise and the, the repetitiveness just kind of moves us away from, from the beauty, I guess. Yeah. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, Bradley Fritch. <laughs> this is, this is one that I knew would tickle your historical, um, belly. I think if we're tickling Andrew's That's what histori- they call it. Yeah. The historical belly. <laughs> Uh, this is from a few weeks ago. AS Roma. Um, so AS Roma tweeted out in Italian. Uh, I'll translate. Thanks to the bomb squads of Escorito, 
which is the army, the Italian army, for the reclamation of military devices dating back to the Second World War carried out in these days in the sports center of Trigoria. So at um, AC Roma's, AS, excuse me, AS Roma's gra- uh, training ground, Andrew, they found these uh, devices that were, I, I suppose, bombs that didn't go off or were or shells uh, from World War II. Jeez. How amazing is that, though? Uh, amazing. Also terrifying. Yeah. And then I thought, um, we when we were growing up, we were always told that when they, after World War II, when they redid the Manchester United pitch at Old Trafford, Old Trafford was bombed. Like it was, it was not quite raised during the Blitz, but it was destroyed. And they had to remove so many incendiary devices to even relay the pitch to, to do a new surface. Um, yeah. And uh, as recently as this summer, a, uh, I guess it was dropped by the Luftwaffe, an incendiary device was found in the canal near Old Trafford. So just amazing bits of history lying around. And now you're terrified by it, of course. I just thought it'd be interesting. Well, I do find it fascinating, but the idea, like what they're doing at AS Roma, like there's a picture here of these guys, you know, carefully removing a bomb from what they are hoping to be a soccer field. Yeah. Right? Like Bradley asks, hard to think of a better reason to stop training. Can you think of any other entertaining reasons that training games have been canceled? Not off the top of my head. There's, 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 they're usually grim in the professional game. If there's like, I remember when I was younger growing up, there was games in England that would be, um, the, the kickoff time would be postponed because there was an IRA bomb threat was phoned in, you know, oh things like God. that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, terror, like those aren't good things. Uh, I mean, I've made so many excuses not to train in the past. It's, it's just unbelievable. Oh, I forgot my inhaler. <laughs> so let us know of other funny, not grim reasons you've skipped training. Um, I know, Andrew, you had to skip once because of a terrible diarrhea problem. You couldn't go to basketball training. (laughs) Nathaniel Bosquez, uh, mailbag question. Do you think Man City should go for a new number nine in January? And if so, who? Um, I was thinking that January probably wouldn't be a time they'll be able to get Latoro Martinez, but that might be one of them from Inter Milan. Also, maybe you can't get him in January, but maybe now is the time to, to talk to Erling Haaland. Uh, is now a good time to create an alliance with Mino Raiola, who is persona non grata on the other side of Manchester. His father, Haaland's father, Alf Inga, played at Man City. So that could be interesting. Yeah, it, it, I guess it's not surprising because those are literally the same two names that I have written here. And, and I mean, stop copying my work. Latura Martinez was somebody that I think they started looking into over this past summer. And like you, I don't, I don't envision much happening in January. Partially because I feel like there's also a lot of parity right now in in leagues, not just in the Premier League, but around Europe. Um, And so you might have a lot of clubs thinking they're still in it at that point that are not looking to offload. So I I think, you know, either clubs won't be willing or they're going to be offering a much higher price tag than what you might be able to get later on. The other side is there's we're in the midst of a financial crisis for big clubs, Andrew. There's that. And by the way, there's also the... They may want to sell. There's the looming messy shadow over... Uh, Manchester City as well like is he the club that or are they the club that he's destined to wind up at playing for Pep again and if so so how is that gonna how's that impact other business that they want to do hmm uh Zach B he got in right at the death Andrew buzzer beater to get into the mailbag he sent us a article from Sportsa in in the Netherlands 
And this is about uh, Jan Vertangen talking about uh, something interesting that we didn't know. Um, this is about how his time at Tottenham ended. Um, so there, so there was a clash of heads in the Champions League game. Um, and uh, Vertonghen, I'm, I'm translating here so it doesn't come out perfect. There was a fuss about a picture of Vertonghen after a switch, which I mean substitution. This is Vertonghen speaking now. That had a lot to do with the blow to my head against Ajax. In the semifinals of the Champions League, Vertonghen dropped out with a, with a head injury after a collision with Toby Alderweireld. So I guess the switch was when he moved club. Um, a lot of people didn't know that, but I have had a lot of problems with it for a long time. Headaches and dizziness. That's the first time I've said that now. I shouldn't have played on it, and I was a total fool for nine months, and therefore I could not bring what I ne- what I wanted. At that change, everyone thought I was angry with Mourinho, but at that point, I just couldn't. I still had a year contract, so I had to play, but when I played, I played badly. Not many people knew that that was my own choice. It is not blaming anyone. I just didn't know what to do. It was match after match and practice after practice. Each time there was a new impact. Then it came that lockdown happened and I was able to rest for two months and then it was better. That is really frightening. That is shocking. And you wonder how many other players out there are doing the same exact thing, where they've, they had this injury, but they're fighting through it. They don't want to stop playing. They're worried about their spot in a team. And who knows? Like you just don't know what sort of damage is being reinflicted each time they head a ball. Yeah, that's uh, reading. That was was really really scary. And uh, by the way, one other note. One other note on him. I saw a lot of Tottenham fans are so excited about Benfica being drawn against Arsenal because there's still so much love that Spurs fans have for Vertonghen, and now he'll be going up against Arsenal in the round of, of 32 in the Europa League. Yeah. Uh, so thought yeah, I'd throw that in there. Imagine. A late header for Vertonghen wins it. Yeah, um, Tom, fat man is worth the watch. A darker take on Santa, but good humor and action. Walton Goggins and Mel Gibson were enjoyable on the screen, and great casting selection, in my opinion. So this is out in the like this is available to be seen. So a lot of people have commented that they've seen it already. So maybe it's uh, streaming. I don't know. See, I always thought the darkest take. Like, I didn't know you could go darker when talking about Santa, then Billy Bob Thornton's portrayal. No, that's not of the real Santa, of course. Uh, a mall Santa. <laughs> of the but bad still, Santa. I mean, right. But still a very, are, a very dark take. Mall Santas can be dark. You know, they're not all quality Santas, to be honest. How do you know? You don't know any of these people away from the, the beard. I don't know. There's a perception from film and TV that suggests that not all mall Santas are jolly and happy. Well, I, now that I know this is out, though, I'm going to, I got to try to, I wasn't sure if I wanted to see it, but I feel like my curiosity is just kind of overtaken here. Uh, I just got to see what this is all about. If this is a, like a comedy or just like an action, I don't know. I, I strangely enjoyed the uh, the trailer, so I'm afraid Mel is going to be getting a few of my dollars. There you go. Uh, let's see. Let's, uh, let's end now on this, JJ. Red card. I'm going to go first here. I'm going to do a little bit of shoehorning. Sometimes that happens, but that's okay. That's okay. This is all for you. This is information for you. My red card, um, it's kind of two things from the same match. Sheffield United, JJ, we have not spoken much about them, but um, they can be ignored no longer. One point through 12 matches, five goals through 12 matches. They're averaging just over two shots on target per 90. Um, We're not even a third of the way through the season here, and yet already I don't know if I see a way out of this for them. This is... 
almost unprecedented in how bad it's been to start the season for them. Um, so uh, considering where they were, like I, I made Chris Wilder, my manager of the season in our Devonlings last year. That's like right. this. And uh, rightly this so. is, yeah. Uh, but this drop off was steep and very, very quick. Uh, so, and a suggestion that the, the the competing suggestions are that on one hand, statistically, they're not as bad as their league position shows. Some people are pushing that. Others are saying they did not recruit properly in that in that summer window. Well, with regards to the first comment, um, and both of those things are probably true. With regards to the first thing you said, they do play a lot of one goal games. Mm. You know, you do not see them blown out very often. Uh, so like, I guess, you know, there is that idea that a bounce of the ball one way or another could, could dramatically alter their trajectory. But like now we're at a point, you know, one point at this stage in the season is you're kind of done. I mean, this would be an unbelievable, you talk about great escapes. This would be one of the all timers. Now I'm rooting. Um, so, for it. um, and then one other thing I wanted to mention sort of in conjunction with that, it, it's not really a red card, but the team that beat Sheffield United over the weekend, Southampton, another team that has flown under the radar for us, but really for the opposite reasons, props to them very quietly up to fourth in the table, 23 points from 12 matches. Um, only once in the Premier League have they been better than that at this stage. That was in 2014-15 when they had 26 points. And like they continue to do that thing that Southampton, since they've come back into the Premier League, um, what, a decade or so ago, they continue to just crank out young talent. Um, and, and right now it's starting to look like Yannick Vestergaard is going to be the next big thing to come out of that club. They play a relentless, high-pressing style. It's paying off for them. They currently lead the Premier League in loose ball recoveries. Uh, 1,270. That's nearly a hundred more from the next closest team, which is Liverpool. Um, so look, it, it's not an end all be all stat, but it kind of is an indication at least of their aggressiveness and how they play They're They are a tough out, a tough opponent for anybody. And I don't know if they're going to stay at fourth, but, uh, we had said at the end of last season, trajectory was headed upward. Remember the nine nil defeat against Leicester city. They stuck with their guns. They stuck with Hassan Hoodle and they got better and that's continued on and they've been, they're being rewarded for it now. Uh, so that's kind of like a, a red card, but also with a positive spin for uh, Southampton as well. What do you got? Um, my red card, I think people know this already, but it's been confirmed for definite. Uh, United States midfielder Richard Ledesma has torn his ACL and is out for the rest of the season, ESPN are reporting. Ledesma, 20, picked up the knee injury playing for PSV Eindhoven in their, in their Europa League match at Omnia Nicosia on Thursday. PSV say the injury will require months of rehabilitation and have ruled him out for the rest of their campaign. The news comes as a blow for both the Desma PSV and the U.S. men's national team. He broke into PSV's first team this season, making six appearances. He's also made a senior U.S. men's national team debut in their friendly against Panama in November, where he contributed two assists from the bench. The timetable for recovery means he will likely miss the U.S. men's national team's Olympic qualifying matches. And as a doubt for the tournament itself, if Greg Berhalter's side make it to Tokyo. Um, bright side to this is that like the ACL is not what it used to be. It used to be such, I'm not saying it's not a serious injury, but at 20, he should come back. If the rehab goes right, he should come back. He should be okay. But it's just a reminder to us that of this crop of young players that we're so excited about, the, the key thing, apart from playing games, is and being a, you know at a good club, is also fitness. 
Yep. So that was a crushing one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Man of the match, JJ. Um, you know, I, I meant to mention this a few weeks ago, but for whatever reason, I didn't. So this isn't necessarily new news, but uh, with MLS season just having ended, I'll mention it now. My man of the match is Adrian Healy, JJ. Um, oh. He's really been ESPN's most, I guess, like consistent MLS voice pretty much forever. Uh, but he is now leaving ESPN to take a great opportunity with MLS's expansion Austin FC, where he'll be the team's lead play-by-play voice, as well as their executive director of broadcast and content. Uh, let's look at his time with ESPN, where he's he's kind of compiled one of the network's most impressive soccer resume, uh, resumes, um, called six MLS Cup finals, been on the call of three men's World Cups, two women's World Cups, three European championships. Um, he spoke with the Austin American statesman about the move to Austin, saying, I'm ready for a new adventure. I've been in the same place for quite a while. It's not that I haven't loved it. I have, but there comes a time when you need to regenerate. You need to rejuvenate. And this is absolutely perfect. Uh, he's still likely, by the way, to have a small role with ESPN on sort of a freelance basis for certain tournaments. But uh, as Adrian says, that will, that will all be a bonus. Austin now is everything. He's been on this program several times in the past. He's always been such a nice guy. And so we wish him the, uh, the very best in this new, this new endeavor, new career move for him. Couldn't be, be happy uh, for be pretty cool. Couldn't be happier for him. He's a great, great guy. Um, yeah. Best of luck, Adrian. And we'll have you on again, I'm sure, talking about Austin. Yep. Uh, my man of the match is curious one, interesting one. Uh, Betar Jerusalem. There's something interesting happening in Israeli soccer over the last couple of days, Andrew. Um, this is from the BBC. An Emirati Sheikh has bought a 50% stake in the Israeli football club Betar Jerusalem, long tainted by accusations of anti-Arab racism. A club statement said Sheikh Hag Hamad bin Khalifa Al Nayan would invest $92 million over the next 10 years. He declared that he was thrilled to be a partner in such a glorious club. The deal comes three months after the United Arab Emirates became the first Gulf Arab state to normalize relations with Israel. Now, we've reported before on La Familia, Betar's hooligan supporter group whose ultra right anti Arab uh, stance has been a blight on the club. Um, I'm reading from Amats Asael, who's writing in the Jerusalem Post. Seven years ago, to the fan to the fan club's astonishment, Betar bought and fielded two Russian players, which was okay, but their faith was Islam, which was not okay. La Familia responded by torching their club's trophy room, which displayed exhibits and memorabilia of the club's success over the decades, crowned by six national championships and seven state cups. Um, that Jerusalem Post piece goes on to make an interesting point, though, about how this football business move may be a very positive thing. Asa L goes on to write, now with money buying and selling players and clubs like stocks and bonds and with local clubs morphing into foreign legions, national soccer lost its glue and all of soccer lost its fla- flavor. Went my, went my, that was his original argument. Now he says... Well, better Jerusalem's purchase by an Arab shows that this trends other si- the other side. The dilution of nationalist vanity, the reminder that sports should be about sportsmanship and nationalism should be about harmony, not between brethren, but also between nations. So this seems, on the face of it, like it could be something very positive for a club that's probably been unfairly tainted by a minority of fans. Well. There you go. Interesting. I, yeah, I wouldn't have seen that coming. I don't know what the end game here is for the either the investor or for Betar themselves, but it it could be a bright future for them or something new. Until, of course, 
Andrew meets them in the Europa League and they knock Spurs out. Um, so there you go. That is our podcast for today. Like we said, keep your eyes open uh, either tomorrow night or early Thursday morning, somewhere around there for uh, on the Caught Offside feed reaction podcast to the Caught Offside Cup. Quietly. No, not so quietly. This is a pretty big game early in the season. It is a big game. It may not be a season definer, but it will give us an indication of where we're all at. Only once have you and I actually physically watched a Tottenham-Liverpool game together, and that was the Champions League final. Where we were on a throne I know. on the Lower East Side. The Harry Al- Lemon. In the Harry Lemon in Alphabet City. That was fun, man. That really was fun. Yeah. We should probably update the Matt Sears, who is a original follower of this podcast, tweeted, like countless commanders and countless battlefields before, we wait for the dawn. Um, this is the Caught Offside Cup match 17, which began in uh, began in 2014 between us, December 16, 2020. So here's how it stands. Wins, JJ Devaney 10, Andrew Gundling 1. I don't even remember the one. Draws. I, oh, that was the hammering you gave us under Klopp at Wembley. Remember that? Oh, where, like, yes, yes. Where where Dejan Lovren had to be taken off. And, and uh, yeah, that was the one. The draws, 5-5. Five, five. So um, I am the reigning cup holder by, by quite a distance. But like we said, the, the Champions League trophy that you have from that one, like that counts for like 100 of these. Like I can, what can I ever do to to get back into the race after that? Tell that was such a next- great. That was such a great day, day though, because the the supporters lifted you up after that game. You talked oh, to all. No, I know so many of our listeners. You know, you weren't allowed to wallow in in self pity like you love to. Yeah, you're right. Old- Had I just been at home by myself, it would have it would have been way worse. You had some lovely listeners making you sign their jerseys and do autographs and pictures and stuff. You felt better. Yeah, I suppose that's true. It was a super fun day. There's no, I do even even with the loss, it was there was a lot of fun that was still had. So, and I appreciate you because you were you were a good sport that day. Oh yeah, I, I mean that. By the way, a bar full of our listeners and and other people as well. Pack bar, us on thrones. It wasn't the day to be a fool, right? Like, what if we had fought that like in front <laughs> of everybody? Like, if, if we had, if you had just said the wrong thing to me afterwards, and we and I had like socked you, and then we just went at it in the bar. I wonder if that would have been good or horrible for this podcast. I like, if that would have like increased interest, or if people would have been like, "Wow, they actually hate each other." I don't know if I want to be a part of this. I don't know. Some people love the rancor. Some people love the bickering. Others know it comes from the right place. A place of love. Well, hey, we'll be back, uh, like I said, on the Caught Offside feed tomorrow uh, for a recap of the Caught Offside Cup, Tottenham and Liverpool. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say... Thank you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.